Monday morning. Just that phrase, those two words, Monday morning. When I say those two words, how does that hit you? <laughs> I can tell. When I talk about you diving back into whatever it is you do to fill the bulk of your days, how does that make you feel? Now, there are some of us who, who feel like we were made for Monday. Whatever it is that we do, we love working hard and grinding towards a goal, whatever it is. And then there are some of us who feel like we, we survive Monday and every other day. Not that we don't like to work, but we don't like to do the thing we have to do right now. And then there are some who just endure Monday. We don't love our work or hate our work. We just see work as something we kind of got to get through to do the other things that we want to do. Now, this is where the Christian faith comes in. Uh, the Christian faith teaches us that, that there, is, there is more to Monday, more to work than than obsessing over your work, than struggling at work, or simply floating through your work. When you look through work, through the lens of Scripture, what we discover, and this is what we're going to talk about throughout this series over the next several weeks, what you discover is that there is, there is peace and purpose to be found in almost every work. That there is peace and purpose to be found and enjoyed and discovered in just about every endeavor that we call work. And throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to dig for peace and we're going to dig for purpose in the work that we do. So let's get started. First thing I want you to write down is this. Desks make terrible deities. Desks make terrible deities. Another way to say this is that even the best job is a bad god. Uh, many will say that, that uh, especially here in the West, we are becoming less religious. And I would say that that's technically not true. What, what I would say is that we are becoming less traditionally religious. Uh, the number of people who do this, who go to church on a Sunday morning, especially here in the United States, is certainly going down. The number of people who, who say that they have no specific religious affiliation, that number of people is rising. But as, as the great poet Bob Dylan once said, you got to serve somebody. Everybody has a God. And as the world becomes more secular, it, it's not that the world is rejecting God as an idea, but that it's, it's rejecting traditional notions of God in favor of something that it sees better. And what many people, if not most people, are choosing as kind of their substitute God in a secular world is their work. Work becomes the thing through which you derive your meaning and your purpose and your sense of identity, your sense of welfare and well-being as a person. How do I know if I'm good enough? How do I know if I'm loved? How do I, how do I carve a pathway to peace and out of pain? We're starting to find that more and more from work. So case in point, we see this even in the youngest generation. Uh, the Pew Research Forum recently did a study on, on the epidemic of teenage anxiety, and they were trying to find the root causes of it. And so they asked a series of questions to a ton of young adults. And they found in their study that 95% of young adults that they surveyed said that finding a job that they love was the most essential element to having a sense of meaning and purpose as an adult. 95% of them said that finding a job that they love was essential to finding meaning and purpose as an adult over and against other choices like kindness to others, starting a family, 
being part of a vibrant faith tradition. So for the vast majority of young people today, meaning through work now trumps compassion, family, and faith as the primary goal. Also see this in the language we use these days. In the language that talks about hustling for your dream, uh, pursuing your passion without end, crushing your goals, unlocking all of your potential. Please understand, I think all those things are good, but what I want us to understand is that the reason we use those words now with greater and greater with greater and greater intensity and urgency and frequency is because as a culture, as a people, we are trying to derive from our work more than we ever have before. For many of us, we are trying to get from our Monday through Friday that which previous generations found through the faith that they celebrated on Sunday. Are you following with me? And the end result of all of this is that many people are finding that when, when work becomes your God, it leaves you exhausted and anxious, both physically and spiritually. When work becomes your God, it leaves you exhausted and anxious, both physically and spiritually. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if work is your God, you, you never really arrive. You will end up discontent and disillusioned. And that's where many people find themselves with work becoming the new secular God, right? So, so take this into consideration. The, the job that most people have in the United States is that of a cashier. There are more cashiers in the United States than any other profession. And it's, it's a perfectly good job. But I'm willing to bet that there are, there are many cashiers who would say that, that that job is not a key part of their personal passion that that is not a part of their path to unlocking their full potential, uh, that it is not part of, of, of their game for hustle, for opening up their whole life and their whole existence. And so it ends up happening in a world where work is your God and work is the place through which you actualize and unlock your true self. You end up being pretty disillusioned if you're in a job like that. Or more so discontent. Because you might be tempted to say, well, I'm, I'm made for more than this. This isn't good enough. This isn't great enough. This isn't, this isn't opening up all the opportunities for me, so I end up discontent. But then the other side is, even if you find your dream gig, what you soon find out is that even the dream gig is full of dull days and dumb work. And that, and that when you start to really crush it at your dream job, guess what? You have to continue to crush it in order to keep that job and move up at that job and get the same level of satisfaction and reward out of that job. And so you end up a bit disillusioned. The, the, the problem with work being your God is that desks make a terrible deity because desks can't deliver what you demand of them. Instead, they demand that you keep delivering. And, and a desk makes a horrible deity because what you, what you discover is that there is no grace and no mercy for you at that desk in your pursuit of meaning and purpose. In fact, if you insist on finding meaning and purpose through your desk, your desk is not going to die for you. Your desk is going to, it's going to assert that you need to die for it. And, and with that being the case, it is no wonder in a, world where, in a world where work is becoming our new savior, where so many working American adults are dealing with issues of anxiety and depression at levels that we've not yet seen before. Is it any wonder? Now again, please understand, 
I, I am not saying that, that work is bad. Not at all. You might be saying, well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, you work one day a week. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> but that being said, uh, work is good. The first few chapters of the Bible tell us that, that we are wired for work. We are made to work. We are, we are designed to do work that adds impact and meaning to my life and to yours. This is why uh, researchers will tell you that, that extended unemployment is more detrimental to your mental health than grieving the loss of a loved one in your immediate family. Did you know that? Because we are wired for work. Now, but the other thing I need you to understand is this. We are made for work, but that is very different from believing that your work makes you. Do you see the distinction? We are wired for work, but that is very different from believing that your work makes you. Scriptures teach us that work is good. Scriptures teach us, I would argue, that work is of God. That work... All work is divine. That all work is divine and it is of God because it's a partnership with God. Um, not too long ago, I asked my four-year-old this question. I said, who makes everything? And without missing a beat, he looked at me and he said, mommy. Mommy makes everything. <laughs> I said, no, son. Mommy does everything. <laughs> but the answer I was looking for is God. God, God makes everything, right? So, so as people of faith, what we believe is that, is that all things ultimately, all things ultimately flow from God's hand. And all things are sustained by him. Which is why as people of faith, when, when good things happen, we, we give him praise. And when bad things happen, we look up to the heavens and we ask him why. But also when we need things, when, when we, need, we need food on our table, when we need a cure for our disease, when, when we need a relaxing evening after a long week with kids. We ask our God to provide. And Jesus tells us to ask God for those everyday things that we need in order to have um, an enjoyable and thriving human existence. Jesus teaches us to pray like that when he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. But here's my question for you. How does God deliver the bread? How does, he, how does he care for the cancer patient? How does he, how does he entertain the overworked mom? How, do, how, does he, how does he do this? I mean, God could choose to like just make bread appear magically on the table, which would be cool every so often. But instead, what does he choose to do? He chooses to work through bakers and through lab technicians and through the writers of season eight of Game of Thrones. And he, and he chooses to write through the UPS drivers who bring the Amazon boxes. You get my point. See, God chooses to, to provide for us through us. And, and God chooses to, to care for us and to answer our prayers through us. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the great uh, reformer and theologian, he once said, and I agree with this, he said that every, every job, whether it's in the marketplace or it's in the home, every job is a mask of God. What he meant by that is that behind every single job, God is hiding. 
And it's actually him working in your work and him working through your work and him providing that good or that service or that item through you, through your work. And he said, but that, if this is true, what that means is that every job, in essence then, is divine. That every job is, is a partnership with God in which he is answering prayers and he is meeting needs. Your work, whatever your work is, is part of this larger, beautiful system through which God is protecting and providing and entertaining and caring for and nurturing the people, the world that he loves, whether they know it or not. That's what's happening. You are the means through which God meets the needs of other people. Did you know that? That you, in whatever work that you do, no matter how small you think it is or how insignificant it seems to be, that you are the answer to someone else's prayer that God has appointed. Did you know that? Now, now when you think about that, that just kind of expands our understanding of the depth and the beauty and the divinity of all work. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I'm a child of the 80s, which means um, I was a fan of, like, like old-school NBA basketball. And so uh, I was a fan of, like, the, 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 the bad boy Pistons, MJ and the Bulls, and, and Magic and the Lakers. And I remember, I remember one night watching a game, and Michael Jordan scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was 10 years old. He scored 69 points, like, all by himself. And on that, on that team, on that Bulls team, was a rookie guard named Stacey King. And that night, Stacey King scored one point. And, and after the game, they're all sitting in the locker room, and the press comes up, and the press comes up to the rookie guard, Stacey King, and they, they ask Stacey, they say, what do you think about this historic evening and all these points that Jordan scored? And without missing a beat, Stacey King said, I will always remember tonight as the night where Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points <laughs> against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, now his response is funny, but it's also profound, isn't it? He chose to measure his work not by what he added in, but by the greater thing that it was a part of. And that's what you and I, as people of faith, when we see our work through the lens of faith, that's how we are called to see our work. We are called to see our work as this extension of and this mask from which God is working and doing and giving and serving, that he is meeting the needs and answering the prayers of somebody else on the receiving end of what I'm doing, be it a big thing, a small thing. It's all a divine thing because it's all connected to this great thing that God is doing and protecting, providing, healing, entertaining, encouraging, equipping, this creation that he loves. God chooses for you to be the means through which he meets needs. You are the answer to someone else's prayer, which he has appointed that's an incredible thing think back to the words that we heard from jesus just earlier this morning from matthew i think it was matthew 22 in case you uh, kind of dozed off let me read these again for you matthew 22 starting at verse 37 jesus says this you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and first commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and all of the prophets. All of life, Jesus says, comes down to two things, loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, when it comes to your work, we love God when we refuse to make an idol out of our work. 
And we find great purpose in our work when we understand that our primary purpose of work is not to serve us, but that the purpose of our work and all of life is to serve and to bless somebody else. And that's the key to finding satisfaction and purpose in your work. Can you trace the line in your work back to the love and the service and the needs of your neighbor? Whatever your work is, whether it's in the home, in the marketplace, whatever it is, can you trace your work back to the needs of your neighbor? Can you see in some small way how what you're doing, whether you are making change at a register, or you are designing a new rig, or you are babysitting the grandkids, or you are folding laundry, is part of this greater thing that God is doing to meet someone else's need, to bless someone else's life. Are you able to see it? You know, in our idolatry of work, we we tend to put this pressure on one another that says, your work should change the world. But do you see how arrogant and ultimately self-defeating that is. Very, very, very few of us will ever do work that gets the attention of the entire world. Very few of us will be influencers or Nobel Prize winners or headline makers. But if what we're studying is right, what it means is that while very few of us will influence the entire world, each each one of us has this calling to change little worlds, small worlds, and individuals, to, to bless that individual's world. And then, and then God, in his sovereignty and his power, he, he ropes all of that together in his care and his service and his love of the whole. And the way you're able to embrace this attitude The way you're able to embrace this attitude in your work is by understanding and embracing the work of Jesus. The reason you're able to see that your work is not ultimately about you, but your work exists for somebody else, and and, and that you allowed yourself to find great purpose and meaning in that in your work, is because you begin to understand that the things your work can never give to you have already been offered to you and won for you in Jesus. That's really the key. If you're going to make this shift, you know, sometimes people will say, you know what, I'm in a job and and I I can't see how it makes the world a better place. I can't be in this work anymore. I can't see how it adds any good to the world. And, And if you're at that place and you're at that place for a long time, maybe it is time for you to look and do something different. Maybe. But very often, here's what the, here's what it is. It's about you making a change in your own heart and understanding that we have to understand that our work is ultimately not for us, but that we have to open our eyes wider to see how our work benefits and blesses somebody else. That's what it's about. And the reason you're able to live in that place and get to that place ultimately as a person of faith is because you understand that what your work can't give to you, Jesus has already won for you. Desks make terrible deities, but Jesus is a really good one. Because Jesus has connected you to your creator, and so now you know that you're a part of something much, much bigger. You know that now, and and your work lasts forever because he lasts forever, and you're part of his work. And 
And Jesus promises that you are part of God's family and that you have his favor and his approval. And so no matter how you perform at your work, you're still loved by the one who made you for that work. And because of Jesus, you also know that all of your guilt and all of your shame is forgiven. In fact, whatever shame you carry has been, has been drained of its power. So now you no longer have to work to prove that you're, you're worthy and prove that you're lovable, to prove to the world that you're, you're worthy of respect. You have all the love and respect from the only one who matters. And Jesus doesn't demand anything from you to get those things that he's earned for you. He doesn't demand that you die at your desk and prove that you really, really want his love and his grace and his mercy. Instead, what he does is he lives and he dies and he rises for you. And now, just through faith in Jesus, through this inner dependence upon the person of Jesus, he gives all of those things to you. And he says, you are free. And and you are free to let your work just be work. Important, yes. Part of God's divine plan for caring for the rest of the world, yes. But still just work. One aspect of your life, one of many hats that you wear, and not at all essential to your identity and your worth as a human being. And when you grasp that thing, is that you are able to lean into your work with a greater sense of freedom, and then also treat the people that you engage with in your work with a greater amount of respect. Because Jesus is giving to you everything that you want to get from your work, but it can't deliver, because Jesus has given you all those things, Take a risk at work. Even if you fail, even if you fail and fall down, you still have the favor and the love of God, even if you fail. Not only that, leave your work at Because Jesus already saved you and your work cannot save you. And so, and so busting your back at work to the detriment of your family, to the detriment of your health, it gets you nothing. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you a better person because Jesus has already done those things so you don't have to do that. You need to know that. You don't have to do that. You're free. Likewise, it leads you to treat the people that you work with and under and for with greater dignity and greater respect. You see, if, if my job is my God, then all the people I work for and I work with, they're just a means to an end. If I'm trying to be saved through my job, then I don't really serve you when I'm serving you. I'm trying desperately to save and serve myself. If my job is my God, it's never actually about you. It's actually all the time about me. About me proving something, getting something, becoming something at your expense, which then, which then fills my job with, with dishonesty and makes me objectify you. But if Jesus has already given you those things and you don't have to use the people around you at all, you're free in your work, whatever your work is, to serve just to serve and to love just to love because they can't give you what you already have in Jesus. I'll close with this. Uh, John Bennett is a, um, uh, he's an Orthodox Christian He's done some writing and some teaching, and he recalls a moment in his life where he was searching for some, some real significant direction on what to do with his life. It was at the time when he was considering going into ministry or, or becoming a missionary, and he was wrestling with big questions. Do I, do I go to divinity school? Do I go to another part of the world and start talking about Jesus? Do I marry this girl that I've fallen in love with? I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I need some direction for my life. 
And so he sought out the wisdom of an abbot, the leader of a monastery, thinking that this, this leader of the monastery would, would have all the answers that he needed to his big life questions. So he sat down with the abbot and he said, Abbot, what does God want me to do with my life? And the abbot thought for a moment and they looked at him and he said this, God doesn't care. Which was not exactly what he was looking for. <laughs> but then the abbot continued, he said, God wants you to seek first his kingdom. And I'll tell you, the more I've thought about that, the more I agree with it. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't care about you. Of course he cares about you. Or that we're just fatalists and it doesn't matter what you do with your life. No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. But here's the top thing on God's checklist for you, is for you to know that he loves you through Jesus. And then for you, knowing that, to leverage your life, whatever you do with your life, in love for others. And everything else for God is a far, far distant second place. That's it. So I, I don't know how you feel about the phrase Monday morning. Whether you, you were made for Monday, or you survive Monday, or you just endure Monday, whether you thrive at work and obsess about work, or whether you struggle at work or just kind of put up with work, here's my hope that that truth, that truth that you are loved apart from your work through Jesus Christ, that truth that whatever work that you do right now today is part of this divine calling through which that God is, is answering the prayers and meeting the needs of other people. That God's greatest concern for you is that you would know that he loves you through Jesus and that you would use your calling and your position in this moment you're in right now to love other people. That all those things would give just a little bit, a little bit of peace and a greater sense of purpose to you. No matter how the notion of Monday morning hits you. We'll pick up the conversation next week. Let's pray.